باب برونا وروخذ قدشة خاء لها الشريرة أمين باب بشمية فاشم قدشة شمخ أتي ملكوتخ هاور الزايخ داخد بشمية وبأرع هلا لخمت سنقانا أديم يوما وشوقلا جناها داخد بخنا شوقلا الداني دعود لنجناها بيا ولمورتلا الجرابا إلا مفاصلا من بيشا سبب ديوخ إلى ملكوتا وخيلة وتشبخت الآبد أبدين آمين Very well In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit One God Amen A very warm welcome to all of you my beloved For another Bible preach My name is Bishop Murray And um, for the new faces that are with us here for the first time uh, A very warm welcome And I hope that these beautiful faces continue to come uh, every Monday to hear the living word, the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that there is in whom there is no other salvation but in Him. Tonight, my beloveds, uh, we're going to talk about a topic I believe um, <clears throat> is of a uh, significant importance. And maybe a lot of us uh, do ask this question and they wonder um, about this question and sometimes um, we struggle to find an answer or at least a convincing answer that fulfills our concern, our questions, and our queries. And that is, why does God allow suffering and evil? Why does God allow so much suffering and evil in the world? Maybe you've heard me saying this. It is a human instinct and uh, it's a natural reaction from any human that when something goes wrong, according to our intellectual understanding and comprehension, is we blame the superior. We blame the one who is an authority. We blame the one who is the most powerful out of all. For example, as a young person, if you are... Uh, with a group of people around you and, you and you get bullied around and then you know that one of those friends that you are with is extremely powerful. He's stronger than any other friend that you know. And if you get bullied by someone and that friend who is the most strongest and the most powerful out of all of you, if he does not defend you and stand there for you, you will blame that friend and say, where were you when I needed you? Because I rely on you. I take my strength from you. I take my security from you and my peace of mind. So whenever things go wrong, according to our understanding, we naturally tend and go back and blame God for it. Why is God doing this? So the question is, why does God allow so much suffering and evil in this world? There are some people in this world that are agnostics. Now agnostics, to a certain degree, it may be a, a word of a great um, nobility. Maybe um, to some degree it's something that is of a, um, of a high respect. But agnostics people, the word agnostic comes from a Latin word um, ignoremos, ignoremos, and it comes English, ignorance. Some agnostics people, they say, they are too ignorant and too lazy to discover God does exist in our lives. 
And that's why these agnostic people, they always argue this question. You guys, the Christian people, you say that God exists and God is true. And God of the Bible is the true living God. And you guys say that this God of the Bible is all love, is all mighty, is omnipresent, omnipotent. He is all knowledge. He is everywhere. He is loving, kindness, tenderness, forgiveness, meekness, you name it. He is the king of peace. But when we look at the world and what's happening in the world and all the suffering and all the evil and all the bad things that are happening in the world, then we come to this conclusion that this God of the Bible does not exist. Because if He is love, well, the world is full of hatred. If He is peace, the world is full of tribulations and divisions. And if He is light, the world is full of darkness. Then where is this God? And when you tend to introduce the God of the Bible, then people tend to not accept Him as living God or in existence at least. Before we, uh, we go on to why does God allow so much suffering and evil, we really need to come and have a look at different aspects of evil. And we need to understand what is evil more in depth than just a word being said and that's it. I'm going to put um, a few points about what is evil and the types of evil in order to lead you to why there is so much suffering and evil in the world. To understand it more and to sort of can live with it in a way. And instead of going back and blaming God for it, we need to understand. Does evil exist? What do you think? Does evil exist? We can see it all around us, yes? So it's not something that of a, a theory or an imagination or an illusion. Because we live it and we see it and it's very tangible around us every day of our life. Wherever we go, we see evil things happening. So does evil exist? You see, if we come to this acknowledgement that a certain thing exists in our life, it will be a lot easier than to talk about it. Because if you don't acknowledge something, there is no point to talk about it. True or not? What do I mean by acknowledging it? At least you say, yes, I believe this thing is there. Because if you don't believe this thing is there, then how are you going to talk about something you don't believe in? So we need to acknowledge it. It's like... You believe there is death? Yes, because I've seen people dying around me. And from the things that are happening, I can tell that there is death. So if you don't acknowledge there is death, you will always be against this topic when it's being spoken about. But once you acknowledge it, then you're at least opening the door for a dialect. And then maybe you understand. And when, when we start to understand, then death then death after that is not as bad as we thought it was. It is not an enemy at all as we all might think that it is. Because death takes the, the most precious people that I love. Take them away from me. But if we go into the depth, we will see that death is a friendly thing. 
just like evil. If we acknowledge it, then it's a lot easier to live with it and stop blaming and pointing the finger at this and at that and at God especially because it's a crime. It's a sin to blame God. So we believe that evil exists. And not only that, evil is a dominating, is dominating our world in big times. Evil dominates this world in a very big way. So let's break this evil and see what kind of types in evil there is or there are. Number one, there is what we call the natural evil. Number two, what we call the moral evil. And number three, what we call a supernatural evil. And number four, the everlasting evil of hell. There is the evil of hell. So let's come to the first one, the natural evil. What do we, what do we mean by the natural evil? It is not... It is not a moral thing, but it's a natural evil. So it's not talking about moralities here. We'll come to that in a minute. A natural evil is a, it is an external, ex, sorry, it's an external thing to us. It's an outside thing that affects us. And this natural evil came into this world because of the condition of the fallen world we live in. The natural evil came because of the condition of the world, a fallen world we live in, this natural evil came about and it's an external negative force. What is that? One of the natural evils is death. An example is death, decay, People die and then they rot away in the grave. Decaying, diseases, catastrophes, tsunamis, earthquakes, great floods. These are all natural evil. But we can't deny them because we see them. They exist. We actually live in a world that is, to a certain degree, extremely dangerous. It's very unstable. Supernatural disasters can inflame before we blink our eyes. Tsunami in 2004, just around Christmas time, hit where? Jakarta? Yes? Indonesia. Around 250,000 people vanished from the face of this earth in around half an hour to an hour. 250,000 people died because a great tsunami or an earthquake happened in the depth of the ocean and then a big tidal wave came and wiped the entire towns and cities there. This is what we call a natural evil and it's all around us. Diseases and you name it. There was a book... Uh, uh, under a name, The Great Influenza. This book, titled The Great Influenza, written by John Berry, he talked about this influenza that killed 
around 100 million people. 100 million people. This influenza that took place in 1918. In 1918, how did this influenza come about? People got it from pigs. Normally, these viruses, what we call viruses or science, refer to them as viruses, they normally come from birds. But what happened? The birds passed it on to the pigs. And in World War I, 1918, in World War I, there was about 25,000 soldiers. They were sent to Kansas. This is in America. They were sent to Kansas in 1918. 25,000 soldiers who were engaged in World War I. They went there and they got the virus from the pigs in Kansas. And those 25,000 soldiers passed that virus to the rest of the world. And in 24 months, 1918, in 24 months after 1918, 100 million people died from that virus. Natural evil. Natural evil. By the way, uh, a virus um, is not like influenza. When we, when we have influenza, it's different. A virus is a, a half-living sort of cell or bacteria. It's a half-living cell. But the way this virus actually gets engulfed and it reaches the point by killing this person uh, that it actually lives on your cell and actually accesses the information of your DNA system and feeds on it. It actually accesses the DNA system and feeds on your own cell and then starts to expand and enlarge and engulfs the whole body which gets to a very fatal level gets to a very fatal level. That's why St. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the whole creation grounds. The whole creation aches. You know, someone grounding, you know what I mean? Aches, ouch, ah, ah, from pain. He says the whole creation grounds because we live in a fallen world. The condition of this world is fallen. That's why this evil entered when this whole world fell into sin. There is what we call, the next one is a moral evil. With the natural evil we said it's an external force. The moral evil is an internal force. So someone comes from outside, and the more, which is the natural evil, and the one that comes from inside is the moral evil. And the moral evil, it is a personal thing. It's got to do with you, not with Mother Nature. And what is moral evil here? It is wickedness, sin, transgression against the living God. That is the moral evil. 
wickedness, sin, and transgression. And this moral evil dominates the human race. Why? Because the Bible says there is no one good, not one at all. All people fell short of the glory of God. No one is good. No one does good. So therefore, if somebody says, this guy is good, sorry, there is no one good, only God. Everyone, every human being that comes to the face of this earth has a problem with moral evil. Either wickedness, or committing a sin, or transgression, or transgressing against God. And we all fall into this. Some people say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. Uh, I don't need to, um, you know, receive the Holy Communion because I've got a good heart. Well, do you think the people that go to church every Sunday are better than me? Man, I, I, soup, I, I pass them by miles. They go to church and they, show, they are nothing but a show-off. They sit at the front row and they bash their chest you know, and, and sort of remorse and begging God to forgive them. And once they leave church, look what they do. I don't go to church, thank God. <laughs> Great statement. Thank God for not going to church. That's, <laughs> that's shocking. I don't go to church, but guess what? I don't hurt no one. I don't go against no one. I don't gossip behind anyone. I don't dig under their feet. I help as much as I can. So... God loves me more than them. Why do I need to go to church? I'm good. I've got a good heart. Well, the Bible says no one is good. Because we all have a problem with moral evil. We all make mistakes in one way or another. Regardless whether you go to church or not, whether you are close or distant, everyone makes a mistake, whether with a thought, with a look, with an action. So the issue is, it's not about going to church or not. The issue is we've got a moral sin to overcome. And all of us fall short. And we fail in this category. Now remember these. I'm going to come back to them at the end. The third point is what we call the supernatural evil. And that is of a demonic beings. Satan and his foul spirits. Some people don't believe that Satan exists. Now that's very dangerous. You know, people will come and say to you, it's all in your mind. You can make your mind heaven and you can make your mind hell. Satan is how you think. You create Satan. Satan doesn't exist. It is all to do with you, the way you believe and the way you think. You see, when this thought comes, you created it and then... You, and people come and say, and they want to convince you that Satan played with your mind. No, there is no Satan. He does not exist. It is just you making up these allegations and imaginations. And that's an extremely dangerous thing to say that Satan does not exist because he does not want you to believe that he exists. And I'll tell you why. As a Christian, I'm talking here as a Christian, 
as a Christian, if I go and say to someone, you're a thief, I think they'll get offended. Yet they are a thief. Right? They steal things. But when I go and confront them, and I say, you're a thief, they're going to get up really angry with me and very offended. And they're going to retaliate. If Satan comes and reveals himself in the open, and he says, hate Jesus, you're going to tell him off. He's not going to come directly and say to you, hate Jesus. He's going to put certain things in your path and he's going to make you think that it is okay to do it. And by doing it, you are proving that you're hating Jesus. Yet, with a clean, comfortable conscience. I went to the club. I did nothing. I just sat there. I had a drink, Coca-Cola, 7-Up. You know, orange juice. And I just said, you know why? Because all week long, I work extremely hard. I work six days a week. And then I just get a chance for an hour or two to relax. So I just went with my friends, with my cousins, whatever. Well, we just sat at the club. We minded our own business. I didn't play the pokies. I didn't gamble. And I didn't even drink alcohol. I just had uh, some sort of a normal beverages. There is nothing wrong with that. Is Jesus going to get upset if, if I do that? Doesn't Jesus want to see me comfortable and a little bit happy and joyful and actually uh, talking with my friends? We're just having fun. Nothing wrong with that. Stamp seal, brother. And you continue on doing it because your conscience is telling you it's okay. Your mind is saying it's okay. And before you know it, you start to drink alcohol, you start to gamble, you start to smoke, you start to swear, and you veer off the road. There is the supernatural evil, and that is Satan and his foul spirits. They are liars and deceivers. <laughs> Full stop. They are liars and deceivers. In 1 John 5.20, the epistle of John, 1 John 5.20, it says, The whole world lies in the lap of their leader. The whole world lies. Lies means sits. The whole world sits in the lap of Satan. And the system of Satan. The whole world lies in the, in the, in the lap of the leader of this world. And the leader of this world, the Bible says, is Satan. The whole world lies in the lap of Satan and the system of Satan. Internet, technologies, the Holy Bible made a huge emphasis and a big huge warning about using the technology of the 21st century. It is extremely dangerous. It is one of the biggest ways of brainwashing people's minds and changing them and bringing them out of the path of Jesus Christ into darkness. Facebooks, internets, all these places are extremely dangerous. And all these TV channels, someone said, I have 500 channels uh, on my satellite dish. 
Well, congratulations. I just wonder when you're going to have a time to watch 500 channels. What for? There is only one channel, Jesus Christ. And there is only one screen to watch Jesus, the Holy Bible. You open it, Jesus comes on, and the TV is on. Listen to him. There is no other channel. You have to be very careful. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 12 says that one third of the angels of heaven fell on here. They came and visited us. One third of the angels. By the way, Satan, um, there are different levels in the angelic orders. Uh, Satan held the highest level in the angelic order, what we call the cherubim. Cherubim is the highest level in the angelic order. And the Holy Bible uh, describes what a cherubim is like. It says that the cherubim is full of eyes inside and outside. It's full of eyes. And the Bible, when it mentions about eyes, it talk, it's talking about knowledge. So the cherubim is full of eyes inside and outside. That meant that the angel is full of knowledge, is all knowledge. And to come and argue and fight and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight against Satan. Well, you can't. First of all, Satan exists from the very beginning of the creation which God created. So only God knows how ancient this creation is. Some people argue and some scholars and theologians, they say, well, the world was created in six literal days. But the majority of theologians and scholars disagree with this idea. The, the world, or the, the heaven and the earth, was not created in six literal days. It is, it is not literal. Only God knows how old this world is. And God says, Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, Elohim, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now here, heavens meaning angels. Because at, in the beginning, there was no stars, no galaxies, no nothing. God created the very first thing. He created the heavens, i.e. angels, and then the earth. In the beginning. So where is this beginning? Only God knows. So what was the first thing that God created in the beginning? Heavens, angels. And what was the highest level in angels? The cherubim. Guess what? Satan was one of them. And then the first day, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth day... The human race is created. And thousands of years have passed since our father Adam till now. You want to fight Satan, who is all knowledge from the start, and who is so old, very experienced. Very experienced. You can't fight him on your own. You cannot. And the fourth point is the evil of hell, which will last forever. Evil of hell, which will last forever. Now, we said, does evil exist? What did we say? Yes, you believe that? Okay. Now, if evil exists, then the next point, does God exist? How? How do you know that? 
You say yes? How do you know that God exists? Hmm? Through Jesus? I'll put it this way so it's a little bit easy to comprehend, to understand. How do you get to know things? I'm asking a very simple question. How do you get to know things around you? How do you obtain knowledge? By going to? Yeah, yeah, to school, exactly. It's a simple question, as I said. How do I obtain knowledge? And when I say knowledge, I mean, when you obtain knowledge, you get to know if this thing is or not. Because if you did not know, you wouldn't know. You know what I'm saying? Yes? If you did not know that doctors can heal, then how would you go to a doctor? But how did you know that a doctor heals? Because I obtained that knowledge. I studied. I was told. I found out. I experienced that I was sick and I went and I got healed. So by obtaining knowledge and experience, I get to know that this thing exists. Now, to, to know things around you in this realm, you obtain it through knowledge. Now, to, to find out about religion, to find out, you want to know that, is there a God that created this world, the universe and me and everything? I need to find out. So how do you find out? Through knowledge. Where do you obtain that knowledge? From a book. Does God exist? Yes. How? Because there is one book called the Holy Bible, which is the revelation of God. And the Holy Bible tells you that God exists. If we compare, if we compare the knowledge that is in this world to the knowledge that is in the universe, how, what, what kind of percentage would I give the knowledge of this world comparing to the knowledge of the universe? How much? Zero? Zero? No, no, let's be, let's be a little bit more easy. One percent? One percent. So, with all the knowledge that is in this world, compared to the knowledge of the universe, we are only one percent to the knowledge of the universe. Then, the Holy Bible says that the universe is not enough place to contain the Creator. The whole universe is not enough place to contain the Creator. The Creator is much, much greater, much, much bigger than the universe. And the science says that the universe, there is no beginning and end to it. We cannot really measure because the more the, uh, the science advances, the more we uncover galaxies within galaxies within galaxies in the thousands and in the millions. Our Milky Way galaxy contains five billion stars. The sun is one of the stars. Our Milky Way galaxy contains five billion stars. They send this um, uh, holoscope, I think this one of these satellite dishes into space. And they focused in, on an area in space. And the outer space, they focused on this particular area, a size of a 50 cent coin. They focused that camera, if I may call it, 
on a size of a 50 cent coin in this universe. And they took a shot. They uncovered or discovered in that little piece of 50 cent size area that there was between 1500 to 2000 galaxies. 1500 to 2000 galaxies, a size of a 50 cent coin. Our Milky Way is one galaxy. There was 1,500 to 2,000 galaxies like ours in a size of a 50 cent coin. Then you can now imagine how massive the universe. And then King David in his Psalms comes and says, this massive universe is not enough for God to dwell in. He is much more massive than it. How do we then know that God exists? Through his book, the Bible. The Bible reveals that God does exist because if you want to find out with your own intelligence, good luck. You'll never reach that. If you want to use your head and say, I want to believe that God exists, you will never reach that. Because the amount of knowledge you obtain is not even 1% to the universe, then let alone to the creator of the universe. How are you going to ever understand him? How are you going to ever understand him? I'll give you a few verses from the Bible that talks about God's existence. Those who are writing, write them down. I'll say it very quickly because we're running out of time. First Chronicles 29.1. First Chronicles 29.1. It says, Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. King Solomon was chosen by God to build the temple. He was not experienced enough, but God chooses. God chooses the way he wants. How can you argue with him? Psalm 115.3 But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? God, hello, come here. Explain. How dare you say to God, Come here and explain yourself. He's free in whatever He wants to do. Deuteronomy 32-39 Now see that I... Even I am He, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. I am the Almighty that does whatever He wants to do. You know, in this Deuteronomy, He says, I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And no one can, get delivered, can deliver himself from my hand. You see, here God is not trying to protect himself from the idea that, there, there might, um, there might have, that he might have a purpose for evil. He is not walking away from this idea that there is a purpose for evil and he's allowing evil to be in our world because he's got a purpose even with evil to exist. Can God wipe evil from existence? Of course. But then why is he allowing that evil to remain? Because he can see that there is a purpose behind this evil. 
He can see that there is a purpose behind it. That's why He allows it. Exodus 4.11 So the Lord said to him, Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? I make the blind, I make the deaf, and I make people see. It is all my work. Psalm 105.16 Moreover, he called for a famine in the land. God called for a famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. God did that. You know, sometimes when things go wrong in the world, some people say, no, no, God would not do that. You know, God is good. But you see, this is your own perception. What is good and what is evil. You see, for you, maybe what is evil is good for God. And what is good for you is evil for God. So how can you define it and say that this is from, this is from man, this is from God, and this is from Satan? You don't know that. Natural disasters. Some people say, Christians, they say no way in the world God would bring natural disasters. He won't bring it, but He will allow it to happen. Because there is a, pur a purpose for natural evil. <coughs> there is a purpose for it, why it happens. When it happened in Indonesia, the whole world started praying. Before that, maybe they were not. When somebody gets killed, everybody feels the remorse. And they come and help before they did not think of that. Why, why don't we help one another unless something bad goes wrong? Why can't we be good people while it's really good around us? Why do we have to, pay to wait till something bad happens and then all of a sudden we are religious? We start going to churches and we start praying and fasting and, and searching the entire universe for mercy. Well, do that when you're having fun. Do that when you're healthy. Why do you wait till you're sick then you start praying? Pray when you're healthy. You see, there's a purpose for evil to take place. And God allows it because He's got a reason. So don't blame God for it. Blame yourself. 2 Kings 17.25 And it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that they did not hear, fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them which killed some of them. Because of disobedience, people get killed and God allows it. Lamentations 3, 37 to 38. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Who can say tomorrow it's going to rain and God said it's not going to rain? Who has the authority to say tomorrow it will rain and yet God says it's not going to rain? No one ever can make a change unless God allows it and permits it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? 1 Timothy 6.15 Which he will be manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only uh, um, potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That means he is the only one who rules everything. Matthew eleven twenty five, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to the babes or to the little children. Job 23.13 But he is unique and who can make him change? Who can change God? No one. And whatever his soul desires that he does. Whatever God wishes, he will bring it into wishing. No one can change God. No one has ever before succeeded. And they never will ever after that. Does God exist? Well, I really do hope that God exists in a very dangerous and evil world. Because I really need someone to help me and protect me and deliver me from all the supernatural evil, the natural evil, the moral evil, the supernatural evil, and the evil forever, which is hell. The natural evil, the natural disasters, the diseases, and the plagues, and you name it. The moral evil is the sin and the wickedness and the transgression of men and their evil hearts. And then the supernatural evil, Satan and his followers, demonic powers, and hell which is forever well i pray that god does exist otherwise i'm in deep trouble who can deliver me from these evil enemies externally and internally i am engaged in a battle that is beyond my capacity i need the supernatural power that comes to my rescue and that is god and that is god my beloved and there are other verses that uh, from the Bible, I'll just quote them very quickly. You have uh, Psalm 33, 1 to 8, Psalm 103, 19, Isaiah 14, 27. These are all talking about the existence of God and the, uh, and the, uh, and the, and the supreme and the sovereign God of, of the Bible that is revealed to us. And there is also uh, Isaiah 46, uh, 9 to 10. 1 Samuel 2, 6-8, and Amos 3, 6. It is all talking about the sovereignty of, of God, the supreme authority of God. We said evil exists, and we acknowledge that because we can see a lot of evil happening. God exists. How do you know that God exists? Well, we said the Bible reveals that. How do you get to know about things? By obtaining knowledge. You go to school, you start reading books, and then you obtain knowledge. And through that knowledge, through the books, you get to know things around you. How do you then find out about a creator? By going and finding out and searching about the religious books in the world. Well, you go and search all the religious books of the world. You will not see one that gives you full clarity of God's existence other than the Holy Bible. Every other book, with all due respect, falls way, way short from the true divine God. The Holy Bible is a very concise, precise, to the point that tells you that God does exist. And you better acknowledge that if you want to be saved. Now, the other thing I said, you, you get to know things from knowledge and experience. Yes? Well, I was sick. I went to the doctor and I got healed. He gave me medications and I became well. Well, that was an experience I gained. And through that experience, I acknowledge that there are doctors. And they're good ones too. Some are not, but some are good. 
Well, experience is the most powerful way for you to acknowledge that God exists. How many times have we been through dark tunnels in our life? How many times have we been through a situation where everything looked uh, pitch black and all the doors were shut and it looked a useless, hopeless situation and I got defeated? I put my hand up and I gave up and gave in and I said it is impossible for me to do anything about it with all my knowledge, with all my power, with all my strength, it is a dead-end situation. I am in deep trouble. And before you know it, you came out of there without a scratch. How did that happen? Just like that out of thin air? Was that a fluke? You were lucky? No. It was the hand of God that delivered you from the lion's mouth. How many times have we been through trouble and we were delivered? How many times we fell and all the people that we thought they were going to come to our rescue, they disappeared? Who came to your rescue? God. Why can't you see that? Why can't you acknowledge that? And again, I don't want to go through a scientific side to prove that God does exist scientifically. Because this human being is so complex and there is no way in the world that there is no supernatural power, some massive brain behind this creation. The DNA system of every single human being obtains 3.1 billion pieces of information. Every DNA, 3.1 billion bits of information and no one's DNA is the same as the other. There are about 7 billion people live on in this globe as we speak. 7 billion. And how many billions came and went? And how many more are going to come? Only God knows. With all the billion of people that came to this world, no one's fingerprint is the same. Was that just a big bang? And it just happened to come and be? It's impossible. God exists in so many different ways. God does exist. And God allows us to go through trouble sometimes to really find out for ourselves that He really exists and He is the closest being ever to me and the only one that can help me and the only one that loves me from the heart and the only one that cares about me and the only one that never forgets me and never loses sight of me no matter where or how and what kind of situation I am in. He's always there. He's always there. Now, evil exists. God does exist. And I'm sure... If not all of us, but most of us have gone through some sort of a difficult experiences. And I'm sure you've experienced the hand of God in your life in one way or another. Now the third thing is then, why would God allow evil to exist? Why does he allow evil to exist? I won't have the time, but read Isaiah 45, 5 and also 45 verse 9. Why does God allow evil to exist? 
And the epistle of St. Paul, Romans 3, 5. In Romans chapter 3, verse 5, St. Paul says, Our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God. Our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God. And then in Romans chapter 10, in Romans chapter 10, St. Paul talks about Jews did not understand what is the righteousness of God. They misunderstood what God meant by righteousness. They misunderstood it in, John, in, in, in Romans chapter 10. What is the righteousness of God? Who can tell me? The unrighteousness, Romans 3.5, the unrighteousness of us, God demonstrated His righteousness. Then what is the righteousness of God? Now, what is the righteousness of God? Come on, people, you're Christians. This is the righteousness of God. The Holy Cross. You see, the Jewish people looked at the Messiah, whom they were waiting for, for centuries. And when they said that this is the Messiah and He got crucified, they said, Oh, that was a stumbling stone for them. It is impossible. That's why they misunderstood completely what Yahweh was telling them all along through their prophets of the Old Testament. He said, my righteousness is the cross. Romans 3, 5, he says, the unrighteousness of us, God demonstrated his righteousness. In Romans 10, he's saying that Jews misunderstood what is the righteousness of God, which is the cross. Now in Romans 9, 22 to 23, St. Paul is saying that God demonstrates his wrath and mercy. God demonstrates His wrath, His anger, and mercy. And in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates His love for us. And yet, while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. He showed, He demonstrated His, his, his love. While we were sinners, His only begotten Son took on the flesh and died on the cross out of love. Now, what do we mean by demonstrating Displaying, showing, revealing, explaining, clarifying. How would we have known if there was wrath of God or mercy of God unless there was sin? How would we have known if there was the wrath of God and the mercy of God if there was no sin? Because the wrath of God came... Because of the sin. And because of the sin, the wrath came and then the mercy came. And the wrath and the mercy wouldn't have come if there was no sin. And if there was no sin, there wouldn't have been the cross. What is the cross then? The righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? Wrath and mercy. God wants to show and teach mankind that I am righteous. And the way I'm going to show you what is righteousness is when I show you what sin is. I don't like sin. I despise it. I cannot see it. I do not want you to sin. But I want you to know one thing, that if you do not listen to me, I'm going to allow you to enter sin in order for you to understand what righteousness means. 
What is the cross? It is the complete revelation of God's right righteousness. And it is the complete wrath, judgment of God upon the perfect Lamb of God. And also it is the complete mercy of God through the sacrificial Lamb of God. Now this is a little bit complicated. When, when we make a mistake, there is a punishment for it. And the punishment and the mistake that we make, it is against the Almighty God. Now that, that mistake becomes infinite. And the punishment of it becomes infinite. Therefore, the wrath of God becomes infinite. But when the punishment comes upon one, through the punishment of that one, the infinite mercy also comes. Because the price is paid. Jesus dies on the cross that is the complete clarity and display and demonstration of God's righteousness. God is righteous. What is righteous? He cannot make a mistake. He cannot accept a mistake. He cannot see a mistake. He cannot allow a mistake. He cannot at all live in a mistake. But he wants us with him. Well, how are we going to get to him? No matter how much uh, knowledge I obtain, no matter how much understanding I obtain, I will never be able to understand fully God. We said the knowledge of this world compared to the universe is not even 1%. Then if we compare it to God, what kind of knowledge do we have? Zilch. No matter how knowledgeable we are. Then how are we going to be able to please God? You see, the people of the Old Testament, they tried to please God by becoming righteous people. And they thought they can obtain righteousness by deeds. You know, I'm going to do good. I've got a good heart. I don't need to go to church. I, you know, I give uh, charities here and there. And I'm, I'm a really nice person. I talk nice. I, I help people. I'm, I've got a good heart. A good heart is a righteous one. So I'm good. So what are you trying to say? Are you, are you putting your level with God? Are you good like Him? Because there's only one good. And that is God. So if you say I'm good. You're saying you're righteous. And God is righteous. And He's the only one. So are you putting yourself in the same level of God? Well that was the mistake of Satan. He was one of the angels. The highest level. He said, I want to be like God. I want to be like Him, righteous. What happened to Him? He fell and He became Satan. From the highest level to the lowest level ever. So my beloveds, why does God allow evil in the world? Because He tries to teach people a lesson. We need to learn. Instead of blaming God for it, and all these agnostic people who do not believe in the existing of God. They do not understand that this evil really can come from so many different sources. External sources, internal sources. My own self, I think evil sometimes. So how are we going to overcome this? By working hard at it? No. By accepting the righteousness of God, which is the cross. 
In the cross, two things meet. Wrath and mercy. The anger of God, the judgment of God, the punishment of God, and then the mercy of God. I wound and I heal. I kill and I make alive. I bring darkness and then I bring light. While Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says, the whole sky went dark for three hours. For three hours it was dark. And I just wonder about this three hour that it was dark. And in the Psalm, Psalm 22, the Lord Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? It's just a thought. What happened in those three hours that it was dark, pitch dark? The sun disappeared. Well, I believe that in those three hours that went dark, it was the complete punishment of God, the wrath of God that fell upon Jesus Christ, the beloved Lamb and the Son of God. If you read in the Old Testament, God brought judgment and punishment in darkness with our father Abraham, the covenant that he entered with. In Sinai, in Sinai, God brought judgment to people in the darkest moment of their lives. And Jesus went through darkness for three hours. I believe it was the complete punishment of mankind's sin put upon the head of Jesus Christ. And after those three hours, Jesus said, my God, why have you forsaken me? That means as if he was left alone to go through this awesome, very harsh judgment and punishment. He received the complete wrath, the complete punishment of God, which is the sin of the world. From Adam till the last person that come, and all of us, Jesus went through hell in those three dark hours. Because he got left alone. It's not that his divinity you know, departed from him. No. But the divine did not interfere with the human side. He left the human side on its own merits. With its own powers and capacities. And the human side is very weak. But he went through it alone without divine intervention. And then he said, why did you leave me? Well, Jesus did not ask the question. It was a rhetorical question. God, why did you forsake me? Because you had to forsake me in order to accept them. Because their punishment, I took it upon myself. Therefore, when the punishment I paid for it, the mercy of God was received by them. Job 38, 1 to 12. 1 to 12. Job 38, 1 to 12. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens, uh, who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you? Now God is asking Job, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? How dare you, you challenge God? How dare you question God? How dare you blame God? Because he's going to come and say to you like he said to Job, 
Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who, de who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundation fastened? Or who laid its uh, cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut in the sea with doors when it bursts forth and issues from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no further, and here your proud, your, your, your poured waves must stop. Have you commanded the morning? Have you commanded the morning since your days begun and caused the dawn to know its place? Who are you, man, to judge me? That's in Job 38. Job 39, 1 to 8. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bury young? Do you? When they bring their kids, those goats? Do you? What do you know? What do you know about God's operation and God's way of thinking? You're asleep. Plants come up. Animals give birth. Sun goes up, comes down. Galaxies, moon, stars, everything falls into place, walks within what God has limited them to walk in. Who are you? What do you know to say? Why is this happening? Why are you doing this? How dare you, God? Leave me alone. Go away. Who are you to question this omnipresent, omnipotent, almighty, the sovereign God, the creator, the only one who holds everything in the palm of his hand? Who are you, piece of dust, to question him? Can you number the months that, they, that you fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young. They deliver their offspring. They, their young ones are healthy. They grow strong with grain. They depart and do not return to them. Who set the wild donkey free? Look, he's even teaching you through animals. You see, you know nothing. You have no control of no over nothing. You don't have control over your life in order to have control over events and places and situations. And then you come back and argue with God and question God. My goodness, aren't we stubborn? Aren't we stubborn? Whose home, I, whose home I have made the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling. The scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the, of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture and he searches after every green thing. God questions Job about all these things. Where were you, Job, when I formed the stars? When I laid the foundation of existence, where were you, Job, for you now to come and question my authority? Do you call the morning to be? I call the morning to be. I call the sun to come and to go. I form everything. And Job understands at the end, chapter 42, 1 to 6, and he answers God with this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, 
Who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Therefore I have said what I did not understand. When I go and blame God, I'm speaking of total ignorance. I'm an idiot. Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen please and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I reject myself. I am disgusted with myself. I abhor myself. And therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. All I can do for the Almighty God is to go to Him and bow my head before Him and say, Lord, forgive me. For I have sinned. Instead of you go and question him. And telling him off. And rebuking God. And saying how dare you God do this to me. Who are you to question his sovereignty? Who are you? All we can do my beloved. Is we go and repent of our sins. And say God whatever happened to my life. And whatever is going to happen to my life. I f please forgive me and please help me and guide me because without you, I am nothing. Thank him for everything and say, whatever is happening in the world now, let it be the will of my father. All the killing in Iraq, all the killing in Egypt, all the killing in Syria, in the Middle East, the famine in Africa and all the uh, spiritual warfares that are happening in the West. Uh, the West is becoming more and more of an atheistic countries and nations. The, coming away from God. Walking away from God. Saying that there is no God. Whatever is happening, believe you me, everything is under His control. Nothing is lost. Nothing is in vain. And nothing is for no reason. And where is God? How come He's not protecting? How come He's not doing something about it? Believe you me, Trust in the gospel. Trust in the word of God, the true living God. The Bible that reveals the true divine God who is the omnipresent, the almighty, the omnipotent, in control, the almighty, the only God who created everything that is visible and invisible. Believe it, that everything that is happening is within his plan. According to his plan, nothing is out of his authority. Nothing. I'll leave you with this. We, when we refer to God, we say He is the Almighty. And He is the All-Powerful. What is the difference between mighty and powerful? If anyone can tell me, I'll buy you after Easter a fish burger and a chocolate sundae. God is Almighty and God is All-Powerful. I'll tell you. All-powerful means he can wipe anything and everything before you blink your eye. But almighty means God can bring out of evil good. Does not wipe evil, but bring out of it good. Things go wrong. Things are destroyed. September 11, the Twin Towers came down. But I just wonder how many people turned to, turned to God 
before they were away from God. Almighty, He changes evil into good. All-powerful wipes everything. And you better pray that He is the Almighty, not the All-powerful. Yet He is the All-powerful, but which way do you want Him to come to you? Because if you want Him to come the All-powerful, He will wipe you. Because we all make mistakes. We all sin. And if He is going to come and abolish sin, then He's going to wipe us all. So do you want to end up in hell? He is the All-powerful. Do you want to end up in heaven? He is the Almighty that can change evil into good. You need to trust. Nothing is lost. It's all good. The righteousness of God, whichever way it is, I will be glorified, says God. Whether I'm going to judge the wicked or I'm going to reward the, the good people who came searching for me. I'll be glorified in my saints and I'll be glorified in those who ignored me and denied me. I'll be glorified as being the judge and I'll be glorified as being the Holy Father. In both instances I am glorified but it's up to you to choose. Do you want me to be your daddy or do you want me to be your judge? Do you want me to be your daddy the Almighty or do you want me to be the judge the All-Powerful? Which one do you choose? It's yours. Why does God allow evil to teach you His righteousness? What is His righteousness? Wrath and mercy. Through punishment, I bring mercy. And through sin, my son came. The cross. Without Jesus, we are all nothing. It's got nothing to do with your heart, with, your, with you being a good person. We are all piece of dirt and a piece of filth. If it was not for Jesus, we would have still be living in the pig's field, in the midst of the swine and the filth and the dirt. Jesus came and delivered us and gave us his glory. Thank him and repent and come back to him. Humble yourself and instead of questioning him, thank him, my beloved. Because even if he explains it, you will never understand it. He is infinite. We are a finite piece of dust. What are we going to obtain of knowledge of God? No matter how much you obtain, it's not even a drop in His ocean. Therefore, you have to accept Him, acknowledge Him, and thank Him for whatever is happening in the world and in your own life. Are you going through some dark moments now? Thank Him for it. Are you failing badly? Thank Him for it. Are you struggling you want to find the way and you are getting up and falling a hundred times and you are becoming frustrated with your own self, thank Him for it. Be grateful for your sins. Be grateful for your mistakes. Be grateful for your errors, for your weaknesses. And say, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm not going to blame you. If I did before, I confess my sins. And I'm sorry, Daddy. From now on, I'm going to say, I thank you for that mercy that you gave me through your beloved son on the cross. I accept Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior. And I, in him, I am all fine. No matter what. No matter what. Amen. Amen. God bless you.